especially those yearly trainings that are repetitive, that go through, here, here's what's expected of us as a company, here's what's expected of us as an organization, Here, here's our mission statement here, review it all. Here's our, our policies on dealing with co-workers, making sure we, we deal with uh, any uh, abuse with co-workers. And as you sit through those meetings, especially if you've been there a long time, it, it kind of becomes redundant. We kind of go through, okay, we've heard this, when's it going to get over? But needless to say, the very ones that think, oh, this is redundant, the very next week they find themselves forgetting something that was just reminded to them. They, they forget, oh, yeah, we actually have that policy in place, and I just broke it because I, I spoke unkindly to a coworker, or I, I made an inappropriate joke, and that was offensive. We neglect those things. We, we fail to see the importance of reminders. And if we do this in our jobs, how much more so do we do it in the gathering of the local church? How much more do we, we forget why we gather, why we actually come together as a body? Why can't we just do this whole thing on Zoom? Why can't we do this whole thing on screens and, and not have to get up and get ready in the morning on Sundays? I think that's kind of what we see in our text this morning. As Moses is reminded of the mission that he's called to be on, we can take and, and learn from that and see this is exactly why we gather as the local church. So that we can be reminded of the mission we're called to. So that we can be reminded and encouraged along the way to hold to the covenant hope we have in Jesus. That's what we're going to see in Exodus 4, 18 through 31. Just a, a preface before I get here. Uh, so we're entering into week three of our, our study of Exodus. I had originally planned on doing 4, 18 through 31 last week with the rest of chapter 3 and 4. And yet there's so many different things here in this little text that can be stumbling blocks. Especially what happens in 4, uh, 25 or 24 through 26 there of a bridegroom of blood. What in the world does that mean? So that's why we're slowing down to go through this this morning. But over the last few weeks, we've seen here God has stooped down. He, he has reached down to Moses in the burning bush in order to make himself known to Moses and ultimately to the people of Israel. God is, is a gracious God who's remembered his covenant. He's heard his people's cries, and he wants, to enter, he wants to act on behalf of them. He wants to deliver them from this bondage. That's where we've been so far. Last week, we, we saw how that played out in the burning of the bush. We see Moses being called to mission, called to go. Moses objects. He objects like most of us. No, I, who am I to be called to that task? No, God sent somebody else. Moses has shown signs and said, go. I'm not sending someone else. You're going. Go. And that's where we pick up this morning. As Moses struggled, here he actually goes. So follow along with me as I read Exodus 4, uh, 18 and following. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, that, that, four, that big number there is the chapter number. Uh, chapter 4 is where we're at, and verse 18 is, is that little number uh, next to the verses. That just helps us know where we're at and follow along. So Exodus four eighteen and following. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. 
And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that you, or he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So what in the world does all of this have to do with us? What is this saying? What's the main idea? I think the main idea is, is something along these lines. In the moments we struggle for faith, God speaks and acts to strengthen us. Let me repeat that, and it's on the screen behind me. The main idea, in the moments we struggle for faith, God speaks and acts to strengthen us. And we're going to look at this in four points. Point number one, assurance is necessary. Point number two, reminders are necessary. Point number three, the covenant is essential. And point number four, help is necessary. So let's look at this. Point number one, assurance is necessary. Following Moses' encounter with God, he is forced to, to go to his father-in-law and, and seek to go back. He's to seek to go back to his people. And he does so in, in going to, to his father-in-law Jethro there in verse 18 and says, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Moses is, is still here hesitant though. You, you see that. Moses is told to go to make God known to the people and to speak to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Let my people go. And yet what Moses tells his father-in-law is a little different. He says, let me go see if my brothers are alive. He, he appeals to that family card uh, of, all right, Papa-in-law, let, let me go see my brothers. I, I got to check on them now. Let me, let me take my wife and, and the kids and I, we got to go check on my family. I'm sure some of you who have kids that live in different places never feel that conflict uh, of where your kids go and spend Christmas and other holiday times. You, you're, you're fighting unless they're in the same place. You're always like, okay, I wish they'd come here more. I wish they'd come here more. So, so 
Moses appeals to, to his father-in-law in that kind of way, like, look, i got to go see my family too here. So he's reluctant for some reason to tell his father-in-law why he's actually going. Whether that's because he thinks Jethro won't believe him, whether he, he thinks Jethro's going to be so like, God didn't speak to you, like, get back to work and, and tending my sheep, or something like that. Moses is still hesitant here. And the reason I pulled this out is not just for unnecessary details. We need to see where is Moses at as he actually begins to go back. He's still struggling to go. He's still struggling with this call to actually believe God and act upon it. And so much so, God intervenes and, and says here in verse 19, And the Lord said to Moses in the... In Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. God reminds Moses, he says, go, leave Midian, and go back to Egypt. Everyone that was seeking your life is now gone. Here's the assurance you have. Go and do what I've called you to do. Those that were going to... Look for your life to kill it are no more. They're dead. The opposition that seeks your life immediately is gone. Now, let me pause right here for a moment. What is being prescribed here to Moses uh, of those that were seeking his life are dead is not indicative of what will happen in every situation in which we are called to do something on mission for God. Just because it, it told Moses that, look, those that sought your life are dead, doesn't mean Moses is going to walk into a, a garden of roses and things are going to go swell for him. That it's going to be easy for him. That he's not going to face opposition. The same way in, in which when we're called to go on mission for God, doesn't mean that we're going to walk into a garden of roses either. The call to follow God is a call to take up a cross and to follow King Jesus. To our own deaths, spiritually, but for some, even our physical death. The call to follow Jesus is one that is hard. And we need to get that right off the bat here. That call is hard. And yet, the very God that assures Moses that these people are dead gives us a greater assurance. He gives us the assurance that he goes with us. Christian. Look, look down with me first at, at verse 20. It says, So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Moses takes the staff, which is showing the power of God in these signs. It's showing here who is with me. Here's who I am speaking on behalf of. It was a staff. It was a physical object. Christian, if you don't know where I'm going, pay close attention. If the power of God was revealed in the staff for Moses, think about the power that we have dwelling in us as Christians. We have the power of God, the Spirit. The third person of the triune God dwells within us, empowering us, and goes with us, enabling us to carry out this mission. We don't need a staff. We have God himself within us dwelling if we are a believer in Jesus. That goes with us. It does not leave us abandoned. It does not leave us powerless. It enables us to go about this work. 
What assurance do we have in God? He assures us of this. I go with you to do this work. He tells, Jesus tells the disciples in, in giving of the Great Commission, Behold, I am always with you until the end of the age. Through the power of the Spirit that is sent by both God the Father and God the Son. The Spirit is enacting on both wills of, of the Father and the Son to, to act and work in our lives, to empower us in that. What more assurance do we need in the call to go than the fact that God has given us His very Spirit to go with us and enable us to do this work? Assurance isn't the means that it's all going to go easy. Christian, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. There's going to be obstacles. And we're about to dive into that in point two. But the assurance we have is through the power of that Spirit that God's not going to send us into something He's not going to enable us to do. In Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 10, uh, I don't remember the exact verse, I didn't write it down. But in Matthew 10, we're told we're going to be sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. We're also told that we shouldn't fear what we should say in the moment because the Spirit will empower us to speak in that moment. So even if we're like Moses, we stutter, we struggle for words, we, we can entrust the power of that Spirit to be at work, to give us the words necessary as we go out on mission for God. Christian, that Spirit is also the assurance of our eternal life in Jesus. It's the assurance we have uh, of being born again, entering into the kingdom of God, is the assurance of that very Spirit. It should comfort us as we face the trials of this world, because we know that we're marked as sons and daughters of the living God, because He has given us that Spirit. It's the sign of our adoption into the kingdom. That's crucial. What more assurance do we need than that? But why do we need that insurance? It's because the mission is hard. The mission is going to have challenges. And that's what God reminds Moses of in the following verses. And we look at in point two, reminders are necessary. There in verse 21, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. I'm going to pause right there. When you go back, do this. Moses has already been instructed to go and speak to Pharaoh, to do these signs. But think about it. How many of you have forgotten something in the last week? Maybe within the last few hours, as one brother was telling the men's Sunday school class of. We forget stuff all the time. But as the longer things go, we're like... You know, is that really necessary? As we think back to the work analogy of those trainings, the longer we're away from that training, we're like, you know, do I really need to follow all of these steps in this process? That's just long and tedious. Can, there's got to be a shorter way, and I'm going to find it. And we get ourselves in trouble because we didn't do it the right way. Moses is going to be tempted, so are we, to do shortcuts, to do things the short way versus the long and right way. Because we want things easy. We don't want to deal with the hardness of it. We don't want to deal with the challenges of it. So we, we cut corners. 
Think of how many times we cut corners. Uh, if you're a homeowner and been a homeowner long enough, you realize how, how important it is that builders don't cut corners. Because every corner that's cut ends up affecting you and your wallet later. Because those cut corners means your house isn't insulated properly, the wiring's poor, you're going to have leaks, you're going to have issues. But why do we do that with God? Why do we try to cut corners? And to stop that, we need this reminder. We need the steady diet of reminders of here is what you're to do. Here's the way you're to do it. So for Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him the miracles I have put and do all of them. Do all of these things. So often, as we think about the mission of God, we're tempted to cut those corners. We're tempted to do things quick and fast. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many IMB missionaries, I'm, I'm picking on us because we're Southern Baptists, I'm picking on our own boards. We have rushed the process to go and make disciples by simply winning converts without actually equipping those disciples. There's secretism in Africa and in South America, meaning that, that there's a blend. They, they profess to be born-again Christians, and yet they hold on to their former religions. They're seeped together. There, there's no clear line of, of what's Christianity and what's their former religion. All because we've cut corners and tried to do things quick and fast. Here's a little secret. One of the reasons we see not just our church, but churches around the United States dwindling is a lack of discipleship. We try to do things fun and creative. We try to, to make things so we can do fast and have gigantic numbers and bring people in quickly. We try to win them by entertainment. We isolated youth for years and years in, in youth uh, church doing their own thing, their own music. And then we wonder why when they're forced to come into big church, they can't actually interact. Because they're so used to it being done a certain style in a certain way. And when that's gone, they're left wondering, you know, I'm not sure about this Christianity thing. It doesn't look like what it did. And, and you know, I can't relate to, to other people. We try to do it fast and easy. We try to appeal to, to our emotions, to, to an entertainment, and then wonder why people don't stick around. When the, why they claim it looks boring. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ is boring, we've missed the whole point to begin with. Jesus came to save us. We need that reminder over and over. And that's why the church exists. The local church exists to give us those reminders. As we gather here in, in Sunday school, as we gather and interact with one another, mingling, as we gather here to sit under the preached word, it's a, a diet of reminders to feed our soul and remind us, here's who God is, here's what he's done for us, and here's what he's calling us to do. It's reminders because we're so forgetful. We miss the point because we want to do things easy and cut corners. But this is why we've got to slow down and say, okay, God, who are you and what is it you have called me to do? How is it you've called me to, 
to act? How is it you called us together as the local church? How is it you've called me to act as an individual Christian and then a group of collective Christians? We must do the things that God has called us to do. Or we soon will find ourselves forgetting. We'll be off task. When I was a student pastor, we had a a little ministry. We would go into a neighborhood and a community. It was uh, subsidized housing and and a lot of broken families, a lot of drug families, a a lot of of welfare in, in these apartment complexes. And as we would gather the kids in in their community building together, one one of the roles was always stay on task. Because if they didn't, things were about to get wild and we knew what that looked like. But that's what the reminders of the church are. Stay on task, Christian. Stay on task. Remember who God is. Stay on task. Here's the mission. Stay on task. Here's what you've been called to. But why? Well, it's summed up here in the second half of there, verse 21. God tells Moses to to remember and do these things. And then in, in the second half, he goes, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So Moses is being reminded, go and tell Pharaoh these things. Let my people go. But then God says, I'm going to harden his heart so that he won't. Well, thanks, God. This was going to be easy. I was going to preach a couple messages and and then we're going to all repent and believe. I mean, come on, God. Why are you going to make it hard? No, Pharaoh was never going to let them people go. But Moses goes on to ask, we'll look in a few weeks, to go on a three days journey is symbolic. It's not saying that we're going to go on three days and and then come back in a few days. He said, we're going to leave and Pharaoh's not going to let that happen. Pharaoh wants to press his thumb as hard as he can. On those people to keep them from growing. To keep them from opposing him. God knows it's going to be hard. Pharaoh's heart was already inclined to not let them go. God just ensures that the message isn't going to allow it to soften any. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And we're going to see that next week. It's going to get worse as as the message goes forward. So God is telling Moses here, stay on task. Remember, you've got to endure until the end. Christian, the same thing is true for us as we go into the world with the gospel. People are going to object. They're not going to sit there and listen quickly. And unless we're reminded of these things, we're going to go into and think, you know, hey, my stuff don't stink. I can go and share this gospel message. I'm going to appeal. I'm the, the coolest, raddest missionary out there or evangelist. And you know what? I'm going to relate to these people and share. And they're going to just believe right away. What happens when we go and actually think that? Slam? I don't want to hear any of that. You're a fool. Your message is foolish. The world's going to respond this way. This should not surprise us, Christian, because God has told us. If they call uh, the, the master of the house buzzable, how much more will they malign us who are within his house? If they insulted Jesus, why do we think they're going to treat us any different as we go? The mission we're called to is not an easy one. But yet we go all the more because of the one we proclaim, I am The very God who stoops down in order to pick us up out of our filth 
and to save us. Look, look what the text goes on to, to do here. It says in verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Let me pause there. Israel, this people enslaved, they're slaves. There's nothing about them that looks special. And yet God's saying, I'm going to fuck up. This is my son. This is my firstborn son. The one who's going to inherit the kingdoms of the earth. The one who's going to inherit it all. The one who's going to be in special relationship with me. Even in their filth. Even in their, their, their nothingness. Pharaoh's going to look and say, what kind of God wants this kind of people? So often we forget this basic truth that Jesus came to die for us while we were still sinners. We were still in our filth and rebellion against him. Christian, think about that. God died for us while we were still sinners and he has called us to himself to adoption as his own sons, to be heirs with his true son, Jesus. That's what he's called us to. He's called us to be his adopted sons and daughters. I use that some language because that's the idea of inheritance in the ancient culture, the language of the Bible. But, but it means sons and daughters. It's for all of us who believe in Jesus that inheritance we're going to receive because of that adoption. And again, God loved us before we ever loved him. He showed that mercy to us. And friend, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know anything about this, if you don't know that Jesus Christ came to save you from your sins and from your filth, believe today. Because that same opportunity is laid before you this morning to repent of your sins and to believe that Jesus came to die to save you from your sins. That he came to pluck you out from your own death from walling in the muck of your sin to clean you off and make you His. That's why we go. Because we get to tell people about this. And we want you to join in with us. So if you have yet to believe in Jesus, believe today. Believe in Him. Believe that He is the Son of God who has come to save sinners. The mission's hard. And yet the mission is glorious because of the one we came to proclaim. Moses is reminded of this. And we need this ongoing reminder as well. Because we're quick to forget. And we need that steady reminder. We need it reminded publicly in our public gathering on Sunday mornings. We need it reminded to us as we walk throughout the rest of our lives. Brothers and sisters, some of you are facing hard things in your family life, in your health. You need that reminder God has already loved you in Christ. That the only way for you to make it is to continue to cling to Him. But you're not going to remember that on your own. That's why we need one another speaking into our lives. That's why we need the local church. Because that's what we do as fellow members. We speak that truth and care for one another. We build one another up in reminding one another that God has loved us in Christ. And here's what it looks like to walk with him. But that brings us to the next point. 
Point number three, the covenant is essential. And I'm going to come back to the second half of verse 23 here in a moment too. What in the world is verses 24 through 26 about? Here, here God is sending Moses saying, go, I'm going to harm Pharaoh's heart. Now, now in verse 24, we see at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Huh. Okay, God, now you send me. Now you're seeking to put me to death. Oh, what? Such a strange event and sequence. And yet there's a reason. Just like we talked about God loving us in his son. There's a reason why Moses' life is being sought to be put to death. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis 17. Genesis 17. I'm going to read 14 verses here, uh, which is unusual for us, but it's important we get a glimpse of this from Genesis 17, 1 through 14. Hear the word, Genesis 17, 1 through 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and shall come from you, or fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought with your money, bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, why did we pause to read these 14 verses from Genesis? Because it's foundational to understanding what's going on in Exodus 4. Why is Moses' life all of a sudden sought to be killed even as he's called to go? Because he's forgotten the covenant of God. He's forgotten to keep the sign of the covenant of circumcision. Not of himself, but of his own son. Now Moses has two sons here. And, and scholars differ of which son it was that was not circumcised. I'm leaned to think with the scholars along the lines of it's probably his youngest son. Moses probably 
circumcised his firstborn son and then got flack from his father-in-law and his wife. Why are you doing this? This isn't our custom. This, you're in the land of Midian, Moses. You're not in Egypt. You're not with your people. This is our land. You're going to do things our way. And he probably just didn't fight it with the second son. So, so he probably for, for went it with the second son. That's just a, uh, a guess from the, the circumstance. I, I think if it would have been the firstborn son that would have been neglected, Moses would have gotten bolder in his faith. He would have gone back and, and corrected that of his firstborn son. I just think he didn't want to deal with the, the griping he was getting from his wife and father-in-law on that. I'm sure none of you men or, or wives, for that matter, can, can relate to that, not wanting to, to get in a griping match. You, you forgo an opinion in order to, to keep peace. That's probably what Moses is doing. But nonetheless, here Moses is called to hold to the covenant, to be the one to lead the people, and he's forsook the covenant sign of circumcision of his own son. If Moses is failing to do this, how is he going to lead the people to be faithful to keep the covenant? To be faithful to hold and worship God? To hold to and worship God? How? If he can't even do this little sign, this little uh, nipping in a circumcision of his own sons, how is he to lead the people faithfully? So God threatens to cut him off by pursuing him. Thankfully for Moses, his wife Zipporah intercedes and, and she ends up circumcising their, their son and, and taking it and either throwing it or, or rubbing it on the feet of Moses in order so that Moses' life may be spared. But why is this so essential? Why? Okay, circumcision's the, the sign of the covenant. We get it. But I think when we ask that question, we forget just how essential the covenant is. The covenant is the only thing, Christian, that stands between us and death. Your standing, my standing before a holy God is not on our works. It's not on anything we have promised or, or offered to God. It's based upon the covenant. The covenant which God has enacted and promised. First through Moses and the giving of the law, and in these later days, a better covenant through his own son, Jesus Christ. Both covenants are enacted with blood, the old of circumcision and that of offerings, and the new through the blood of Jesus. Our standing relies on that. It's God's promise to us in entrusting that God is going to be faithful to his covenant. For that's the whole reason God is acting here to deliver the people of Israel. He's acting because he remembers his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's not, again, because Israel is something worth saving. This very people is going to do nothing but grumble as they go through the wilderness. They're going to do nothing but reject God over and over again. They're going to turn from him. It's not left to their own efforts but they must keep the sign in remembering it. It's much what baptism and the Lord's Supper is to us as Christians today. Baptism is, is that sign of entry into the kingdom of, of where we die to self and rise anew in Christ. It's that covenant sign of entry. 
Just as, like partaking of the Lord's Supper is remembering that ongoing covenant as we drink the supper together and, and take the bread where we're remembering what Christ has done. That it's by His blood and His death alone that we have hope in Jesus. That's what the covenant sign of circumcision was all about, that reminder. And Moses couldn't keep it. Christian, all we have to hold our hope on is the covenant love of God to us in Jesus. That's it. And yet that should encourage us because that means when God, we're unfaithful, God is faithful. When we struggle and continue to sin again and again over and over the same things that we, we've sworn a hundred times, I'm going to defeat this God. I'm done with this. No more. Not again. I'm not falling into that. I'm not going to burst in anger. I'm not going to say a mean word about somebody else. God is faithful when we're not. Our assurance, our salvation rests in that covenant promise in Jesus. And that's what as Christians we continue to hold on to, that covenant reminder that I am saved because of Jesus and Him alone. That's my surety. What better surety there is. Now, I promised I would come back to the second half of 23 when it, it says, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Again, this covenant is enacted upon blood. It was enacted on the promise of circumcision, of the shedding of blood. That's why uh, Zipporah calls Moses a bridegroom of blood, because her son bled in order for him to be spared. But in the same way, it requires a life for a life. If Pharaoh refuses to let Israel go, his own son is at stake. His, along with every firstborn. We're going to see that in the final plague. But this is the promise, a life for a life. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do for us. He came, the Son of God came to lay down His life so that our lives can be spared. That's the hope we have, Christian. That's the covenant seal that Jesus died for us. Let's rejoice in that. But finally, we need to see help is necessary. And that's our fourth and final point this morning. There, verse 27 to 31, it's fast moving. Uh, Aaron's called to go meet Moses. He does. They, they had a, a reunion there together. Uh, and then they go and, and gather the elders of, of the people of Israel together. Uh, they speak the words and, and the people believe and they worship. But ultimately, we need to see multiple times. Help is necessary. Aaron's sent to help Moses in the mission. Aaron is, is sent to be a helper to speak when Moses struggles to speak. He helps him in the task. He, he's the one who, who relays the message of God. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not meant to be done alone. It's never been intended to be done alone. Just like Moses couldn't do the task alone and he was sent a helper in his brother Aaron, we are given one another. All the one another's of scripture in particularly us who are members of Central City Baptist Church are charged to carry out together. Those one another's aren't just vaguely carried out throughout random people in the world. They're most specifically carried out here with one another. So 
We love one another. We love in particularly those we have covenanted together with in a local church. That's why membership matters in the local church. Membership is not simply a social club of, of where we go and, and spend time with our friends who are like-minded and, and have the same interest as us. We gather together and join to be members of the body of Jesus Christ in which we come together to help one another do the Christian life together. That's what church membership is. It's members helping one another to live the Christian life, to give that reminder of encouragement, to also give that firm warning of rebuke when somebody's straying from faithfulness. Brother, sister, hey, danger is ahead. Turn from this sin or it's going to kill you. Turn from that so God can spare you. Hey, brother, sister, I know it's been rough. Keep fighting the fight of faith. Keep fighting and hanging on to Jesus. Because he wins. The victory is his. Don't let go. Because he won't let go of you. That's the reminders, the help we need. That's what Aaron came to do for Moses. He helped him in that task to, to bear the burden together. Christian, how are you bearing the burden with one another? How are you helping your brother and sister in this local church share burdens in carrying out the Christian faith. Think about it. Help one another. We need one another. But it's also a good reminder that it is God's word. It goes forth for a reminder for us as we go and help others. God's word works. As they speak, the people believe. Now, now we're going to find out that belief's very shallow still. But over and over, we help one another. To be reminding of that message. To remind one another of that initial belief. So that we can strengthen one another. That help is needed and necessary for us as Christians. We've got a hard mission. It's a hard task. It's not a garden of roses. It's more like going through the toughest obstacle course you can imagine. Worse than it's kind of going through hell week in the Navy SEALs. That's the mission we've been sent on. But the only way we're going to endure is by reminding one another of these truths. Remembering the assurance we have in the one who has sent us and who is dwelling within us. The very power of God. Christian, take heart. The mission is tough. But the God who has sent us is glorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace to us.